tune in to my next interview with Stephen. He's an expat from the UK, but he's also lived in Israel, America, and now Mexico with the love of his life. He's a podcasting executive who sees where podcasting is going and there's no end in sight to it. So tune in. Welcome to the Are We Home Yet podcast, where I talk to expats about what it's like living, working, making a home abroad. You'll get great information for your move abroad via this podcast. Also, go to the website, arewehomeyetpodcast.com, and subscribe to the blog for more helpful information to make your home abroad a success. I'm your host, Jalila Clark. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Are We Home Yet podcast, a podcast where I talk to expats around the world. And with me today is Stephen. Hello, Stephen. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Great, great, great. Okay, so where in the world are you? I am in a fantastic paradise little town called San Jose del Cabo in the southern tip of Baja California, sir, or south uh, in Mexico. Okay. All right. So what's it like being there? It is um, nothing short of paradise. Uh, To the right of where I'm looking at is the Sea of Cortez or where the Sea of Cortez meets the Pacific. Mm -hmm. Um, I I do a lot of scuba diving and this is one of the great areas of the world for that. Um, And I find, um, I just find the entire environment and the entire atmosphere here to be so to my liking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, it's a small town, has fabulous restaurants. Uh, it's it, it, it it's not that Mexican in, in mm-hmm. fairness, because the place caters a lot to Americans and Canadians. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can go find those pockets if, if you want them. Um, and it's quiet and it's very civilized. Whereas the place that people most people know about this area is Cabo San Lucas, which mm-hmm. is about 16 miles to the west. And that's a little bit more crazy. That's where a lot of people from the U.S. and Canada will come down for spring break and get uh, horrifically drunk and do whatever <laughs> one does when one gets horrifically drunk. Okay, so so what made you pick that place in Mexico out of you know all the places you could have picked? So I think um, so I think I, I was influenced by a friend um, sometime in mid two thousand and twenty. And um, I came down to take a look at the place um, based on the fact that I was really, really unhappy and unsatisfied living in the United States based on what the United States has become to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I came down here uh, in July of 2020, I found a realtor who showed me three houses. The first house that they showed me is the one that I live in right now. Um, I looked at the views. I I looked at sort of how it's a little bit simpler here. It's a little calmer. um, And it was just, it just made all the sense in the world. And so I went back to LA, which was where I was living and started to create a plan and started to work backwards. So I chose my birthday, uh, which is the 26th of September and just started to work backwards and said, this is what I need to get done, uh, secured the house, blah, blah, blah. And this is what I'm gonna do. And, um, you know, involved things like trading in my car and buying a, a you know, a big American truck mm-hmm. uh, because I, had to, I was gonna drive down. It's, it, it's a three day drive if you don't drive at night. 
Um, and it's been just the last 18, 19 months that I've been here have been amongst the happiest of my life. Mm, wow, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah. So so before, you know, these 18, 19 months, where, where were you living before? I was living in the United States for 38 years prior to that, 34 of oh. those in Los Angeles. Um, and I had just grown tired of America. Not so much LA, because I love LA, but the overall appetite, the overall atmosphere, environment, the overall tone, uh, the overall everything about America uh, under, uh, you know, un with, with, with the presidency like Donald Trump and, mm -hmm. and the current, um, you know, configuration of the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. uh, it just, I, I, you know, I, I came to the conclusion fundamentally that the United States, which I had arrived at in 1982, spent the first four years of those 38 years in the United States Army, um, was red, white, and blue, apple pie, baseball, Obama, you name it. And I, I you know, I, I came to the conclusion fundamentally that the United States no longer reflected my values. And I couldn't believe I was saying that, mm -hmm. but it wound up being 100% true. And I said, I came here as an immigrant and I will leave as an immigrant. Mm, interesting, interesting. Okay, so, you know, now that you've been in Mexico for this amount of time, I mean, do you miss anything about America or no? No. Um, not, no, I mean, you know, <laughs> that, the clock, that, that the trains run on time, uh -huh. that gets you fast or um, it's very efficient. Mm -hmm. But no, I, I really don't. I mean, I've been, I go back to L.A., um, I mean, I've been back twice or three times in the last six or eight weeks. Um, and it, it, it is always an incredible relief when I get back on the plane. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I always find myself, honestly, when I get to the airport in um, San Jose del Cabo and I'm starting to go through customs, I find myself at times almost crying, um, yeah. being moved to tears that Mexico has welcomed me the man in the manner it has um, because I have found... You know, I found the United States to just be so cruel and so mean and so insensitive and so lacking in empathy um, that I just needed a different view. I needed a different sensation. I needed a different feeling of life. And I found it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. OK, well, then tell me more about your quality of life there in Mexico. Like, you know, like what like what gives you the, the peace of mind that you didn't have anymore in America? Like, you know, how do you spend your time? Um, you mentioned, you know, the violence in America. So I'm assuming you feel safer in Mexico. So, so tell me all about your experience there. So um, some of the, some of these experiences are going to be interesting. Okay. okay. Because um, I'll give you an example of mm -hmm. why I prefer it here. And this is going to be a weird example. When I was, when I left in September of 2020, um, all my friends said to me, beyond not believing I was going to leave, but they all said to me, you know, if you get stopped by the police, you got to be really, 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 really careful, blah, blah, blah. And sometime on the third day of my drive um, between a place called La Paz and Todos Santos, um, I did, in fact, get stopped by the police. Mm -hmm. And it was a really interesting experience. And, and, and I'll get into the quality of life in a minute, but this is an example of why I really like it here. Whenever I've been stopped by the police in the United States, specifically in LA, the first emotion I've ever felt is fear. 
I don't know who the cop is. I don't know what the kind of mood they're in. I don't know if they're a veteran from Iraq or Afghanistan, if they're on steroids. I don't, I don't know anything. I don't know if I say the wrong thing, if I'm going to wind up in jail. I don't know if my car's going to be impounded. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And so it creates an environment of fear. But here, I know exactly what the police want, and they know exactly what I want. They want a little bit of money, and I want to be on my way. <laughs> and so I find it simpler. I find it more convenient. I find the life much more simple. Um, and my day-to-day -day is honestly waking up, taking my two dogs uh, with my girlfriend um, to the beach and watching some of the most spectacular sunrises you can possibly imagine, coming back. Um, and while I was working, you know, just having coffee, feeding the dogs, going to, uh, and sitting at my dining room table and starting to work. I work in podcasting um, and just doing my day. And on the weekends, going diving, uh, watching football or soccer from, from the UK, um, mm -hmm. just having a completely relaxed life. And, and I will also say it does, um, it does matter that last June I met somebody um, who, without question, has turned out to be the love of my life. Wow. Let's take a quick break. I'm glad you're enjoying the show. Want to make your move abroad as smooth as possible? Download the ebook from the AreWeHomeYetPodcast.com website for resources in making a home abroad. Unsure how to make money while living abroad? Download the free teaching online PDF with more than 20 online companies looking for people to teach various languages and different subjects. Download these two great items and make your move abroad a reality. Okay, back to the show. She's from, uh, Vanessa's from um, Sinaloa. So mm -hmm. everybody would be familiar with the cartels, of course, from Sinaloa. But she's, um, she's, a, she's, she's just unbelievably fabulous she's the spa director of a fancy hotel here called the viceroy oh. um she's a professional in her own right and she's just she's just extraordinary she's just oh. she just she's just extraordinary I, I i i don't have even in english the words to describe how absolutely phenomenal she is as a human being as a girlfriend as a lover call it what you will mm -hmm. um she's just she's she's just absolutely amazing Okay, well, then now let's skip ahead because I was going to, you know, ask you about like the food in Mexico, but th this is too, too, too juicy for me to like <laughs> now skip to the food and skip back to that. So tell me, so how did you guys meet? So um, one of the things that's great about where I live, which is a place called Club Compestre, mm -hmm. is uh, I, I have a, a wonderful house here. And part of the arrangement is it comes with a fabulous membership to a beach club. Mm -hmm. uh, which is about two minutes away, which has a lovely restaurant, a fantastic pool, and is obviously on the beach. Um, and last June, I had been in a place called La Ventana diving and was driving back to San Jose. And um, I thought to myself, oh, my God, I'm starving. And so mm -hmm. instead of just running home um, and dumping my stuff and feeding the dogs, I came to the beach club. 
and I was looking for a place to sit and it was a Sunday and it was pretty busy. And there's, there was this woman sitting on this beach chair and I thought, well, I don't wanna make this this obvious. So I chose a seat, right, one away from her. Um, and I ordered this mammoth sort of hamburger uh, and then she disappeared and then she returned. And as I was about to uh, take a bite of my hamburger, she just said buen provecho, which is bon appetit or good appetite mm-hmm. in, uh, in Spanish. Um, and that was it. <laughs> that was literally oh. it. So, so what, what made you fall in love? You mentioned the love of your life. So, so what made you fall in love and, and how soon did you realize, wow, I, I'm in love. Super quickly. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not going <laughs> to, let me be careful how I say this. So we, we, we started talking, we were talking for about an hour. And then I said to mm-hmm. her, you know, I've got to go home and feed my dogs. And I thought it was a safe enough territory to say to her, hey, can I get your number? And maybe we can have dinner. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, she goes, yeah, sure. How about tonight? <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> Despite the fact I'd just eaten a huge hamburger. Um, so there was that. And, and then I was kind of seeing somebody at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of the person who sort of influenced me to come down here. Uh, that had been very sort of on and off, on and off, uh, whatever. Um and then one day, Vanessa realized that there was somebody else around and she just called me up on a Tuesday morning and she said, listen to me, I know what's going on. <laughs> I don't need this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I can walk away now and not be hurt. But, but anyway, and, and you, you get my point. And she mm-hmm. was absolutely in my face. And I literally just waved the white flag and surrendered. And I just mm-hmm. thought, you know what? That's how you should do it. That's how you should say it. Shouldn't beat around the bush. You should say exactly what's on your mind. And from then, I just had like such respect for her. Uh, and then it was just, it was a, a complete given that that I wanted to be with her. Um, and that was that. And we've been together ever since. What what are other people like in Mexico? I mean, you know, you know, so so when you mentioned that, you know, you gave your phone number and you were like, oh, let's have dinner. She's like, OK, great. So so I'm wondering, like, I mean, in general, has your experience been with the Mexican people that they have been like that friendly and that open or or have you had a different experience? No, I mean, look, the Cabo San Lucas, Baja California, sir, and San Jose. Um, they really do cater to Americans and Canadians. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really a tourist place. Mm -hmm. Um, It really, it it thrives and it survives on the influence and economy that Canadians and Americans bring here. Mm -hmm. So they're very very aware of that. Um, And they tend to be very, very friendly. Um, It's just, it's just really nice. It's just... Mm -hmm. I, I've never experienced any hostility, nothing. Um, people understand that, you know, people like me and people, you know, I mean, people like me, um, you know, are what make San Lucas and, and this area of Mexico thrive. Now, mm-hmm. you can go to other parts of Mexico, and we've been to a few, uh, to Quintana Roo, where Cancun is, and Tulum is, and uh, Playa del Carmen, and, and stuff like that. And it's a little bit... Um, it's a lot more Mexican, mm-hmm. um, but still, I've, I, I found people incredibly, um, incredibly friendly and accommodating and facilitating. Um, and then there's this other place in Mexico that we go to quite a bit called Oaxaca, um, which we're going to actually next Saturday. 
And, you know, that there, there are places down there called Zipolete and Mazunte. And these are uh, places where I have never, ever, ever, ever felt more free mm -hmm. uh, for a variety of different reasons. And I won't go into them here because people may say, mm, OK, but there are just <laughs> things there are things that go on in certain places in Mexico that are just fabulous for me mm -hmm. at my age, the way I want to live my life. Um, you know, the fact that people just let you get on with whatever you're going to get on with and nobody's calling the police about anything. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, I just find this place to be free. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've lived in four places in my life, in the United Kingdom, in Israel, in the United States and in Mexico. And I can tell you unreservedly that the United States is the least free of any of the places I've lived. Mm -hmm. If you go in the United States, from the minute you get to an airport, to get to a beach, to wherever you go, it's always, you can't do this, you can't do that, you don't do this, don't do that. Uh, this is, uh, you can be fined here, you can have five years in prison here. And I just don't hear it and I don't see it here. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like Big Brother is on my back here. Mm -hmm. I just feel free to do what I want. Um, and I'm gonna be sort of su super personal. One of the things that we love about Oaxaca and going to this place called Zipolete is it's clothing optional. Mm -hmm. That's what I want. This is how I wanna live my life. Mm -hmm. I wanna live in a sense of freedom um, that I don't think really exists in the United States. There's a place that we love to go called Lateral, which is two minutes away from here. If we just want something super simple and we wanna get some fish tacos with octopus or lobster or whatever, Right, you know, for 30 to 50 pesos each. And, you know, which is a dollar fifty or two dollars of two two dollars and fifty cents. Um, so you can find, especially in San Jose, I find uh, you can find restaurants of, of of so many different varieties. So let's elaborate. Like, what's the cost of living there compared to you know when you lived in America? I'm I'm assuming much cheaper and any other place where you've lived. So um, when I was in, when I was growing up in England, so I was sort of under the, the auspices of my parents. So uh, didn't really understand what the cost of living was there, nor when I was living in Israel. Um, but the United States, you know, I, I never actually found Los Angeles to be that expensive in fairness. Now, where I live now is cheaper. And, and for example, for now, I, I've, I've been renting a house since I got here and it's a four bedroom, five bathroom house. Uh, with views of the Sea of Cortez and access to this beach club, and it's $2,500. I think the same kind of house with the same kind of space and the same kind of views in LA would be somewhere between ten dollars and $20,000. So from that perspective, you get a lot more for your dollar. Um, food is... Uh, Food is, is cheaper, I, 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 I would say. I'll tell you one place that isn't cheaper is Costco, weirdly. Costco mm -hmm. is incredibly expensive here. Um, but uh, so I think for your housing dollar, um, you, get, you get a lot here. I think you can eat really well here reason, reasonably cheaply. But I will say that one of the things about this area is they are building like crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the the... the they really are. They're just building like crazy condos, houses, um, gated communities from San Lucas to San Jose. Uh, and it is driving up either, uh, both rents and uh, the cost of buying property. And also one of the funny, one, one of the um, interesting things I think about, uh, you know, the Russia-Ukraine situation is 
as these Russian oligarchs are trying to find places to put their money and buy property, they're finding it here. Um. So then, you know, it it sounds like you really like it there. I mean, do you see this place as being someplace that you stay like forever? At the moment, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you never know what life is going to throw at you. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I'm not doing anything without Vanessa. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, maybe you know, maybe moving somewhere else in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, with the, look, one of the things that was amazing about moving moving down here was I had a really, really good job. Um, and when I put it to the people that I worked for that I was interested or thinking about making this move, you know, we were five months into COVID and really all they said to me was just keep selling. And mm-hmm. so as long as what I do, I have an internet connection, mm-hmm. I can do it from wherever I am. And that's, that's kind of what I've been doing until about two weeks ago when that job sort of came to an end. But, um, you know, I, I don't see any reason why I would want to leave here. Um, the current configuration of the United States is not appealing to me in any way, shape, form or fashion. Um, and until Donald Trump and this strain of the Republican Party have somehow departed this mortal coil, I'm not going back to the United States. Okay, so so besides America, and of course now Mexico, like where else have you lived? The United Kingdom, which is where I was born and raised. Mm-hmm. And then um, I lived in Israel for about two years before coming to the United States. And then went back, uh, the first four years I spent in the United States, I, was, um, I joined the American army and was, uh, would go back to a place called the Sinai Desert as part of a peacekeeping force. Um, and so that put me in very close proximity to Israel again. Um, and then, then the United States for 38 years and then uh, Mexico for the last 19, 20 months. Okay, all right. So what, what made you decide to enter the army? Um, I left Israel to come to the United States because I had a massive falling out with my father. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he said to me, he was going to give me a thousand dollars and a one-way ticket. And trust me, when I tell you the emphasis was on the one-way ticket. Um, <laughs> okay. and, um, I came to America and I had an aunt and uncle here and I was a bit of a wild, a wild child at that age. And they said, you know what, uh, if you want to come to the United States, uh, you're going to join the army and you're going to get sorted out. Wow. And so I spent the first four years in the army, had a fabulous time. Mm-hmm. It was before um, it was before America really became sort of the warmongering uh, country that, that it became mm-hmm. in the 90s. Uh, and so, yeah, it was um, uh, it was a great experience. And there are many things about it that I still hold with me dearly, absolutely dearly. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so uh, it got me citizenship in the United States quicker at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, it's always very nice to be able to say, you know, I'm a veteran, I'm a veteran of the 101st Airborne Division in the United States. What what was the career? What was the job that you were doing uh, when when you first came to Mexico? And what have been some some other jobs that you've done? So interestingly enough, I think um, maybe not, but I'll, I'll suggest it. <laughs> um, I've always been in some form of sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, I was in the music industry as a publicist for about nine years. 
And then I sort of morphed from there and started the first daily radio show about soccer in the United States in 2002 um, and hosted that for 10 or 11 years and was also um, on television on a TV show called Fox Football Phone-In talking about football for uh, I think it was five years in total. Um, And when that all ended, uh, I went back into media and the last sort of seven to 10 years have really been um, really sort of leaning into the podcasting world and what that's all about and how it works and why it's a powerful medium. Um, And I worked for a a fabulous, fabulous uh, um, podcasting network called Cadence 13, um, which we started from scratch in 2015 and built until it got sold in 2019 Mm -hmm. um, and then really sort of disintegrated after that once it got sold by a big media company. Why does podcasting continue to be, continue to have that it factor? I think one of the reasons is, um, well, there, there, there are several reasons. One of them is I think that I know the, that we use the expression on demand so much, mm-hmm. but I actually honestly think when it comes to Netflix and Amazon and HBO and whatever it is, and, and you can sort of correlate that to podcasting, what we consume, we do so on desire more than on demand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what happens is that you are finding content that you can absorb and uh, immerse in at your own behest, at your own um, at, at your own time. And there's this, there's, there's this view I have about uh, podcasting and content that this thing called uh, choice plus immersion, that sometimes we are confused, I think, about what makes all this content, whether it's visual or audio, um, so profound. And it is that the content that we, that we absorb is we do so by choice. Mm-hmm. Right. It is not like this is what ABC, NBC and, and, and CBS are putting on network television. I have options now. I can go and find the content, whether it's uh, vi- video or audio, and I can consume content that I want to consume when I want to consume it, how mm-hmm. I want to consume it to the point that I'm going to find loyalty in hosts and content and verticals and structure. Um, and that's that's why. Because every day when I'm going, uh, every day when I go get up and take my dogs to the beach and go on these sort of mammoth walks, once I put my headphones in and wake my phone up and choose the podcast or the audiobook, if you like, that I'm going to listen to, mm-hmm. there is nothing, nothing that can get in my way in terms of where my mind is focused. Mm-hmm. So there is idea that we choose content and we immerse in it really, really heavily. And that's why it's so powerful. That's why it's so profound. And from an advertising perspective, which is fundamentally what I sell, this is really profoundly powerful and focused for advertisers because they are looking for an audience that is choosing to immerse in content. And then the very people who are delivering the advertising message are the very people that the audience has chosen to immerse in, if that makes any sense. And so Mm -hmm. that's really, really profound and focused in a world that is completely uncluttered. If you listen to local radio or local TV in the United States, you will get four big time breaks every hour. And there will be eight to 10 ads and a variety of car dealerships and 
you name it, whatever, and medical situations and, and, and whatever uh, that, you, that you have. And in podcasting, you don't. Mm-hmm. You have typically four, four breaks, uh, a pre-roll and three mid-rolls, and they are delivered by the host of what you're listening to. And so it is seamless. And it is, um, it is exactly how content should be delivered. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And the only difference, say, between podcasting and Netflix and Amazon and HBO is where the revenue is generated. So on, on the video side of it, it's based on a subscription standpoint. Mm-hmm. On the podcasting, it is literally um, revenue is embedded within the podcast. And so that, that, that's how podcasting is, has become so powerful. Okay. So what was that like working in radio and, and what, what, what caused you to enter that profession? So what happened was I was working at a radio uh, station uh, doing local radio sales in LA when um, the people who I worked with, and there was another station in the building that was a sports station. uh, They obviously knew I was English and they had a client um, or a contact at one of their clients, a big banking client who was English and a big, uh, big soccer fan as well. And so one day somebody came to me and they said, hey, you know what, you should get together with this guy and you should do a radio show. And what they really meant was you should buy a block of time uh, at a really undesirable time in the day um, mm-hmm. and you should do a radio show and you should pay for it. <laughs> so, that's what, so that's what we did. Okay. And we grew it from... Um, a local show um, to a national to, to a national show, and eventually we did a deal with Sirius XM, uh, who had the rights to the English Premier League and the UEFA Champions League, and they needed program that would support their programming. And so we said, "Hey, let's just do an inventory swap. You can have half of inventory, but give us the distribution." And so that's what we did. And from there, we caught the attention of Fox. Um, specifically the Fox Soccer Channel, who then put us on TV, um, and that that's 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 how it happened, and it was unbelievable. I mean that that that's that's a part of America where you say, "Wow, that's America!" Like, yeah. how can I, as this kid from North London, wound wind up in America, talking about the one thing that I've been passionate about since I was four, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the the relationships we have with our football teams are the longest relationships we're ever going to have. Eventually, our parents will pass away, um, even our wives and our girlfriends and whatever. Mm-hmm. But my football team, I've been a supporter of my football team since I was four. Let's say I live to be 80. That's a 76-year relationship. Mm-hmm. Were you ever worried about, like, the sustainability? Like, if you could maintain employment? I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, we we all want to work in a field where, you know, it's it's something we're passionate about. But, you know, then, of course sometimes like the the passion continues but the job opportunity doesn't so so has there has there ever been that time when when that's occurred no not previously but Mm -hmm. interestingly enough um in the last uh two to four weeks um so the people who when when i decided i was going to move to mexico Mm-hmm. I worked for some people who I'd known for six, seven years, and we'd worked brilliantly together. And when I said to them, mm-hmm. um, uh, look, this is what I'm thinking of doing. And their response to me was simply just keep selling. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, not, not a problem. But the people, those people um, slowly but surely left. And, and my mentor, this guy called John Murphy left in January. 
which brought a whole new um, slew of people who came in. Mm -hmm. uh, and interestingly enough, on, on April the 1st of this year, I got ambushed on a Zoom call um, by the company I was working with, uh, who claimed that the call was a Q2 catch-up to look at projected revenue in, in, in the second quarter of this year. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying to my girlfriend the night before, I'm saying, there is no chance this call is about Q2 catch-up. It is mm -hmm. going to be about Mexico. And, uh, and true to form, it was about Mexico. Mm -hmm. And so the company um, said, this situation in Mexico can no longer uh, exist. Um, and you have one week to decide whether you're going to come back to the United States. And if you decide not to, then we will deem that as your resignation. And by the way, the company's name is Odyssey. So just, just, wow. just to let you know. So I knew that they thought I wasn't going to come back. And so I kind of flipped the switch and said, yeah, I'll come back. And so I went back for a week and said, nah, I'm not doing this. Um, and I actually was going back there to, to, to secure some money. Uh, which fundamental, which eventually was paid yesterday. Um, but um, so that that's what happens. I I I I I recognize that I thought that there could be a conversation. I didn't realize that they were going to be quite as hostile about it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just the way it is. And so, but I, I feel fine about it. Um, in as much as you know, I'm going to do a bunch of things now as an independent contractor. Um, and what that allows me to do is never, ever have somebody tap me on the shoulder and say, you know what, uh, we need to control where you live. And so that's never going to happen again. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's been interesting in the last two weeks since I left uh, that job, the amount of people who have come out of the woodwork and uh, reached out to me and say, what are you going to do? I've, uh, I know some people who are trying to launch a podcast. They need some help in both sort of consulting and sales and, 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 and the opportunities, weirdly, are just extraordinary. And it doesn't matter in a post-COVID world, or not even a post-COVID world, certainly for, for where you are, um, but in a post-COVID world sort of where I am, um, the opportunities are limitless and boundless um, and nobody needs to be constrained by literally where they are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I read something months ago that said that, you know, many people started a podcast, you know, during COVID. Um, yeah. So I found that very interesting because it was basically like, wow, they, they had, you know, time available on their hands. And, you know, the thing that they wanted to do was talk about whatever it is, but they wanted to talk. Um, so I did find that interesting. Um, I am going to ask you a little bit more about your experience during COVID, but I am curious because now you're, you're a man of leisure so I'm wondering, yeah. <laughs> so I'm wondering, you have all this wonderful downtime now. So mm -hmm. what, what's your day to day like? What, what do you do? How do you spend your time? So weirdly enough, this week has been really interesting this past week because I've had a lot of calls of people talking to me about, you know, what's next for me? What do I want to do? Um, so it's, it, it's been, it's, it's been, it's been pretty busy. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it, it, it always starts with taking the dogs to the beach and watching the sunrise. Mm -hmm. um, and then I sort of bid my girlfriend goodbye as she goes to work. Um, and then I sort of just reach out to people. I mean, at the moment, this is only the last two weeks in fairness. Um, mm -hmm. And um, just talking to people and re reconnecting with some people that maybe I haven't spoken to in a little while. At the moment, we are what's called uh, at the business end of the European football seasons. Mm -hmm. So I've been watching a lot of football um, and I've been working out a lot. 
and um, just weighing up my options. Mm -hmm. um, diving, uh, I went diving on Thursday, I'm going diving again on Tuesday, and uh, towards the end of May, I'm going on what's called a, a, a liverboard, which mm -hmm. is where you go on a boat for eight or nine days and do four dives a day. Uh, we're going to this place called uh, Socorro Island, which is about a day away from here uh, on the Pacific side. It, it, it's not so much. It, this has mm -hmm. really been only the last two weeks, mm -hmm. um, but it's been a very nice two weeks. Okay. Um, and I am you know, weighing up my options as to what I want to do next. And um, my girlfriend and I are going to this place called Oaxaca next Saturday. Mm -hmm. And then when we come back a couple of days later, I'm going on this liverboard uh, to this place called Socorro Island, which is essentially you go and live on a boat for eight days and do four dives a day. Mm -hmm. um, and Socorro Island is about a day away on the Pacific side. So uh, yes, May, May is blocked out. I will say that. Mm -hmm. And I've said to the people that I'm talking to professionally um, that I'm not interested in doing anything until June the 1st. Okay. Okay. So, so all of these things that you mentioned that you do, like how, how did you find these activities? I'm assuming like you didn't really know people before you, you know, got to Mexico. So like, how, how have you found like activities? How have you made friends? How, how have you gone about build, building a life there? I'm a pretty outgoing person. Mm -hmm. um, and I talk to pretty much anybody. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, between the beach club and the community that I live in um, and exploring diving, sort of those three things have been um, the, the, the things that have um, really driven my life here. So there's been uh, coming here, uh, the people who I, who I sort of worked with in getting the house, um, my fabulous neighbors, uh, I live on a, a fabulous street with, with wonderful, wonderful neighbors. In fact, we're having a big dinner party tonight. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, I really started to immerse myself in the diving community. And I've met so many unbelievably wonderful people from all over the world uh, who have all these fabulous experiences from diving um, and of which I have accumulated my own. Um, none better than this, this experience in December where we literally got to dive with humpback whales uh, quite by accident. Um, oh. And um, so that kind of, that combination of my neighborhood, the beach club and diving um, have sort of really driven uh, a fabulous life of people that I, I just adore. So, well, what's the visa process like in, in going there and staying there? What's that like? So interesting, that's a great question. Um, I'm just simply here on a tourist visa because mm -hmm. you can come to Mexico and be here for six months and you just, you just need to leave the country um, like for a day and come back. So mm -hmm. I go to LA every, I don't know, at least once a quarter. So that hasn't been a problem. But I think that uh, at some point in the very near future, I'm gonna start looking at either temporary or permanent residency. Mm -hmm. um, I think the longer that I'm with Vanessa, that there's, there's, it, it's, it's quite certain where, what direction we're going in. Um, so uh, not only, you know, if we get married, which I'm pretty sure we're going to, uh, would I get sort of automatic Mexican citizenship, but she'd get American citizenship and British citizenship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I'm wondering though, like, what did your family and friends think what did they say when you were like all right well i'm moving to mexico see ya 
Um, my family, who are pretty dispersed around the world, my father's in London, mm. my mother's in Arizona, my sister's in New Zealand, um, uh, my stepmother is in uh, London, um, and sort of friends of my father, um, they wish me good Godspeed and good speed and mm. um, good luck. And I think they were impressed that I was um, taking control of my life. Mm -hmm. uh, like I was of the opinion that I could stay in the United States and simply moan and bemoan the state of the United States and where it is and whatever, or I could do something and say, I don't have to do this. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I chose to do. My friends, um, my core friends just were of the belief I would never do it. Um, mm -hmm. They knew that I loved America, blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, no, no. I said, I'm going. And if it looks like Trump's going to get reelected, I'm definitely going. Uh, and this is, you know, I left uh, four months before they tried to overthrow the government. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, by, the t by, by, the, by the, you know, by the time I got here, and when I when January the sixth came along, and I'm watching what uh, TV and watching what's going on, all it did was reinforce, oh my God, I'm so glad I did what I did. Um, so um, there was. Uh, surprise and bewilderment, I think, from some of them. Um, you know, my father, who turned 90, came here for his 90th birthday in November. A lot of my friends have come down to visit. Um, I try not to allow them to come for too long. And um, <laughs> Why? Why do you say oh, that? Ah, because you want them to get too comfortable. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and, and now that, you know, Vanessa and I are together, it's like, you know, yeah, I come down for a few days, but... Mm -hmm. uh, we have our life um so I, I'm, I'm kind of joking but um but yeah no, I, th I think the reaction has largely been uh, very positive and um you know and 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 even if it weren't i wouldn't really care because you know i've never been happier never ever ever been happier Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay and so you know you've lived in uh the uk initially mm -hmm. Um, yep. Also Israel and America and then now Mexico. Oh. So I guess I do wonder, um, you know, what, what's your definition of home? My definition of home is um, being in the place when I think to myself, there's nowhere else I'd rather be. And as long as I'm next to Vanessa, home is home um, because the, I look at this place every day, my life here every day. And there is nowhere else in the world I would rather be. Do you feel like you've had any struggles as an expat or have they all been joys or has it been a mix of struggles and joys? That's a great question. That's that it, 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 it's been great to be English traveling around the world and uh, going to places. And I'll tell you the one thing that 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 is fundamental to this. Um, and this may seem really stupid, but. <laughs> We can talk about music and movies and blah, blah, blah. But let me tell you something. The real language of the world is football mm -hmm. because you can go anywhere in the world and connect with people about football and largely about English football. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. It is truly a universal language. And so I remember being in, uh, in Laos, in Wamperbang, uh, in, in Laos and in Thailand, and in Shanghai, and in Bali, and in Israel, and all over Europe, wherever, football is this unbelievable uh, universal language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. You know, yeah, Messi, you know... Ronaldo, Manchester United, Real Madrid, Chelsea, Barcelona, 
It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. If you go to the airport in Bangkok, all you'll see in the airport in Bangkok is Leicester City uh, jerseys and shops everywhere because mm-hmm. Leicester City is owned by um, a very wealthy Thai family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So you mentioned like, you know, you, you don't miss the weather from the UK or, or anything like that, but, um, but do you miss anything about the UK, which was your original homeland? I think in such an interconnected world, it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, prior to the internet, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I probably missed pubs. <laughs> I probably, <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, pub culture is kind of cool in England. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, music, in British music, English music. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything is available. Everything is available to you at your fingertips at this point in, 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 in the evolution of the world that we live in. And so as far as the UK is concerned, do you know what's interesting? The other day I was talking to Vanessa and I was saying, you know what? I'd love to just get on a plane to the UK just for a Sunday mm-hmm. to go to a fabulous country pub um, that sort of overlooks cricket fields and have the traditional Sunday roast of roast beef and roast potatoes and Yorkshire pudding and peas and a pint. That I could do, right? Mm-hmm. But then I would leave that night, um, <laughs> and 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 then and then and then come back to to Mexico. Um, the, the the country I suppose uh, that I lived in that probably had the most profound effect on me at the time was probably Israel, because you know I, I'm I'm Jewish, mm-hmm. didn't really didn't really know what it really meant to me growing up um, outside of sort of the traditional stuff you do for the high holy days. And getting bemitzvah and stuff like that, but when I went to Israel, uh, I really did. Um, I really did sort of get in touch with uh, my Judaism, not so much in a religious way, but in a cultural way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that has stayed with me um, ever, ever since I, I lived there, which was when I was seventeen and eighteen. And I want to thank you so much, Stephen, for taking the time. Oh, my pleasure. Me. <laughs> yeah, to be interviewed by me on this podcast, Are We Homie at a podcast where I talk to expats around the world and find out what's it like living abroad, the struggles, the joys, and everything in between and outside. <laughs> so I'm going to also wish our audience to have a great day. And uh, you too, Stephen, have a great day. Bye bye. Thank you so much. Okay. Up next is my interview with Maria. She's an expat from Lithuania living in the Netherlands, and she's a photographer. She's going to be talking about photography since COVID, where she's in one location and her subject is in another one. She's also going to talk about photos of women in marijuana and women in coffee shops. Very interesting, very beautiful photos. So tune in. I'm glad you enjoyed the show. Remember to hit subscribe on your podcast player and also leave a great review and rating of this podcast as well. I'm Jalila Clark. See you next time.